0: Open your Bible, if you would, to Revelation 21, and maybe my dear wife could bring me my Bible, because I'm going to try to preach this morning. (laughs) Praise God. Revelation chapter 21. An article in Forbes magazine online on July 28th of this year declared We are designing a world void of human contact. It's not an accident. We are designing a world void of human contact. If you think about that, you can immediately see how that is true. You can go to the grocery store now without needing to talk to anyone, including that pesky checkout lady. I never wanted to say hello anyway, apparently. And you can check everything right on out, and after you're all done talking to no one, the machine will likely say to you, thank you for shopping at Wise. That is if you left your home to get groceries at all, because you could have ordered them. It's the Christmas shopping season, and probably most of you are doing most of your shopping, not at the mall, like when I was growing up, but on Amazon, from your phone, In your house. You can go to the doctor without going to the doctor now. Everything seems to be done from the convenience and safety and isolation of home. Forbes goes on and reports loneliness is a growing epidemic in most developing countries. Young people aged 16 to 24. Feel more lonely than any other age group, including those 65 and older. Hmm. They call that age group the loneliest generation. I remember the book called The Greatest Generation. My, how things have changed. The loneliest generation. That is deeply sad. Loneliness and isolation, an epidemic of isolation. Thankfully, Forbes magazine doesn't stop there. They offer a solution. After multiple paragraphs of describing this epidemic of isolation, the the loneliest generation, they then finally offer us a helpful solution. Now, they're writing to businessmen, you know, big wigs in charge of big brand names. So, in a stunning turn in the article they offer this breathtaking good news brands and by brands they mean things like ford and tesla and apple computer and those kinds of things brands have the platform and the resources to tackle the epidemic of loneliness facing young people brands have the platform and the resources to fix this don't worry friends Nike's on its way. With that new Tesla, you can have complete sense of belonging to replace your isolation. Who knew? And we're left struggling to know which is sadder, the prescription of what the next generation is facing or the solutions that they're being offered. To what they're facing. This morning we're going to consider the topic of loneliness, isolation, the sense of a lack of belonging, of distance in relationships, distance in family, of not really feeling loved. And we hear with concern and we see it with our own eyes that the reality facing the next generation is stark. It seems a satanic plague. But we also know that loneliness is not limited to the next generation. It is part of the human condition in every generation. And to a greater or lesser extent to every person in the room. It's part of what it is to live in this world. We're in Revelation 21 this morning. And this is a good chapter. This is the chapter where God makes all things new. Where the the new heaven and the new earth, which right now he's making and preparing, because he's gone to prepare a place for us. Right now he's making and preparing them. In Revelation 21, we see it arrive. And it addresses the epidemic of loneliness. It addresses in ways we can hardly Imagine helping us have a sense and a reality of belonging beyond which any of us would dare hope otherwise. It's a good chapter. We're going to really focus on Revelation 21, verse 7, but I want to read the whole paragraph. So follow along with me in your Bible as I begin reading in verse 5 of Revelation 21 To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Go back up so that we have verse 7 clearly in mind. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. Let's pray. Father, your son taught us to pray, our Father. And so we address you as Father this morning, and we pray that you would take these words from the printed page and and weld them within us, that they would grow within us, or that that we would have knowledge and understanding, that we would have belief, that we would have hope in these words, Lord, that we would know that each one here would know that they are yours, fully known, fully loved by God himself. And Lord, we know this is a work of your spirit to illuminate your word and apply it to us. And so we pray for the spirit's activity this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. There is a promise here that we're looking at this morning, and it's a good promise, but there's a condition right up front to the promise. The promise is clearly not for everyone. It is for those who conquer. I don't know if you're like me, but that makes me immediately nervous as to whether this verse applies to me or not. Let's consider the prerequisite. Who is the one who conquers? So throughout the book of Revelation, this phrase has actually been used over and over again. Back in chapter 3, when Christ was speaking to the church of Laodicea, he said, The one who conquers, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne, even as I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. When he spoke to Philadelphia, he said, The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. In Sardis, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. Pergamum, we're told, that when they conquered, they would get hidden manna. Smyrna, that they would not be hurt by the second death. Throughout the book of Revelation, this theme of conquering comes up again and again. What does it mean to conquer? Well, it means to win. No one likes a loser means to win. means to conquer at some kind of a battle. To win a fight. Revelation is all about a fight. The, the, the whole book up to this point has been a, a, a book of war, describing war. As, as the enemy, Satan, has been pursuing God's people, the, the church, it's seen as this vulnerable bride of Christ upon the earth, And the satanic dragon hunting her. And he enlists help from these fearsome allies of his. He enlists the beast. Remember the beast? Fearsome and powerful. This picture of corrupted state power persecuting the church. Trying to drive her away from Christ. Then he enlists the power of this false prophet who speaks lies of false religion and false philosophy. Tries to sow doubt into the church, and and pull her away from the truth. Then he enlists the harlot Babylon, the prostitute Babylon, to tempt, to seduce, to try to make the church impure and to turn her from her husband. The book describes warfare, and we live in it. Now we're reading chapter 21 when the warfare is over but we're living back in chapter 19 where the warfare continues. And so this is the fight that we are in. So what does victory look like in this fight? I think what we, what we need to see is that victory probably doesn't look like the way that the world thinks of victory. We, we, can, we can still, in our folly, we can still go to thinking of it in you know, cultural terms or political terms or church-sized terms. This this is a victory um, that's cross-shaped. Do you remember what Christ said to, to His church? He said, to the one who conquers, I'll let you sit with me on my throne even as I conquered and sat with my Father on His throne. Our victory is going to be just like Jesus's. Praise God. And... That tells us something of the way that's going to look. It is a cross-shaped victory that he calls us to. It is a, it's a laying down our lives kind of victory. Of, of, of casting all our cares on him. Of giving up our dreams and our desires. And saying, Lord, where you lead I will follow. Of loving not our lives unto death. Of no matter what the beast does... And what, what the prophet says, no matter how the, the harlot tempts, I'm following Jesus. Now, I don't want to confuse you. This is not the victory of sinlessness. Because if it was, there would be no victors. This is not the victory of sinlessness. It's the victory of those who are repenting of sin. And following after Christ. It's simply saying. Genuine New Testament believers. Who continue to look to Jesus. Verse 8 puts it in. What it doesn't look like. These are not the conquerors. Verse 8. As for the cowardly. The faithless. The detestable. As for murderers. Sexually immoral. sorcerers, Sorcerers. Idolaters. And all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. These are those whose lives are defined by unrepentant sin. They persist in their running from God. They're clinging to their sin. They're identifying themselves by their sin. And they're defeated by their sin. So we can look at verse 8 to help us understand verse 7 then. Right? So so the conquering is not is not that. But we can also look back up at verse 6 to help us understand verse 7. Verse 7 says, the one who conquers. Verse 6, do you remember verse 6 from last week? Oh, so good. The end says, To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. That was a fun verse. Without payment. In other words, salvation. Is free to God's people. Purchased by Jesus Christ. Everlasting joy purchased by Jesus, given to us without payment. So if in verse 6 it's without payment, guess what? In verse 7, it's still without payment. Right? So the one who conquers is not the one earning their salvation. That would violate the previous verse. It cannot be that. It cannot be the sinless, because we're the thirsty, back up in verse 6, who needed life-giving water that only Jesus can give. These are those who simply keep looking to him. Jesus, without you, I am nothing and I have nothing. Those are the ones who conquer. Those are believers in Jesus. All right, so that's who the promise is for. What's the promise? The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. So here's the heritage. Heritage, that's like an inheritance. Word. This is what's going to get passed down to you one day. This is your inheritance. I will be his God and he will be my son. Now, before we jump into this a little more, let me just do a quick aside to remove a stumbling block in in understanding that perhaps you've had here, and honestly, you could have it in several different places. In the scripture in the New Testament, particularly, and that is why is this verse only talking to guys? I will be his God and he will be my son. Are there no daughters in heaven? And and, and if there are, why does it say son? God is being specific and intentional here in the language that he uses. Because in ancient Greek culture, in ancient Hebrew culture, in basically every culture till very recently, men and women were not treated equally in any way. Sons inherit everything, daughters don't. That's just how that goes. The sons, they do business, they do government, they do all of those things, and so they inherit everything. Daughters don't inherit anything. So here's, here's what this verse is doing. It's not saying God doesn't have daughters. Praise the Lord. In eternity, there will be sons and daughters before the throne. An aside to my aside. Your gender is forever. You will forever be a son or daughter of God. That goes on. Because that's, God made us male and female. That's how he made us. That's, that's a forever thing that we'll we'll bear before God forever. But the daughters standing before the throne will be treated as though they are sons. That's that's what this is saying. They will enjoy all the inheritance rights as sons of God. How's that for good news? That, That God has sons and daughters and together we inherit Equally before the Lord. That's a beautiful picture. What are we inheriting then? What is this inheritance? It is surprising. <laughs> surprising. I think of inheritance. I don't know about you. I think of money. Maybe land. In other times you could think of like inheriting a title or a crown or something like that. What do we inherit here? We inherit Relationship with God. I will be his God. He will be my son. We inherit belonging with God. This is a very profound and deep thought. (laughs) Uh, Before there was anyone else, there was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they dwelt in, in the closest possible relationship, the definition of what it means to be Trinity, a a depth of knowing and loving each other beyond all description, and we're invited into a family relationship with God, called His Son, even as Christ is His Son. This is a glorious truth. I think it could stand on its own, but let me back up and ask, why is that such a big deal? Why is it such a big deal to be welcomed into the family of God and known and loved by God? Well, because of the epidemic of loneliness that we started with this morning. The tyranny of isolation under which humanity groans. And it has for a long time. It's not just this generation thing. Let's go back to the garden together for a moment. Do you remember back in the garden? You weren't there, but you know what I mean. You remember back in the garden? Man and woman living together in perfect harmony, walking with God in the cool of the day together. And in words that are kind of surprising to our modern ears, they walked with God naked and unashamed. This is a picture of two people. That had nothing to hide, that had nothing between them. It is ultimate vulnerability and openness. There were no walls, no masks, no barriers, no hiding, no secrets. They were fully known and yet still unashamed. Why? Because there was nothing to be ashamed about. God had made them good. And good they were. And so there was nothing they feared to reveal about themselves that would cause the other to recoil in disgust. And even as they stood before the Holy One, they had no cause for embarrassment or shame. It's hard to imagine. (laughs) It's hard to imagine. And then there was sin. They sinned, and what did they do when they sinned? They hid, first thing. They sinned, and like with the fruit still in their hand, they ran and hid. They hid from each other, and they hid from God. Right away. Why did they hide? Because they had reason to hide. Now they knew something about them was wrong. And it was embarrassing. It was shameful. And they knew that if anyone knew the real truth about them, they would be repulsed. And so they ran, and they hid. And they put up boundaries, and they put up walls, and they put on masks and barriers, and they kept secrets, and they kept a safe distance, and they pushed each other away, and the epidemic of loneliness began right there. Because they pushed each other away. Because they both knew there was something very shameful about them. Now, I'm talking about on the the horizontal plane amongst people. They pushed each other away. I haven't even mentioned the far more significant vertical reality that their relationship with God was broken by their sin. And that he came down and they were hiding from him. So not only were they isolated from each other, but they became isolated from God. And they were sent out from his presence. Sent out into the world without him. Sent out alone. Sin isolates. Sin isolates us from each other. Sin isolates us from God. It did so in the garden it does so in your family room. It reaches down into families. It destroys relationships. It infects marriages. A- and you could be, you could be in, in, a, in a room in the dark with your iPhone utterly alone. You could be in a crowd of a thousand people and feel utterly alone and isolated. Humanity as a loneliness problem. There's an epidemic of isolation. And it's because we have a sin problem. And we know there's something wrong with us. Deeply flawed. And so we seek to hide. This is a... This should give us sympathy for those around us and for the lost. Think, think, think about this. Apart, apart from Christ, right? You can, you can choose. You've got two options you can choose from as a deeply flawed person. You can either be known or you can be loved. You cannot be both. That is a horrible choice. So you can be loved if you put on a mask. And hide those gross things that would otherwise repulse people. And don't let them see the real you just enough, but not too much. And, and, and polish that veneer. And people may love that veneer. You could be loved. But you'll know that they don't love you. They love the veneer. And you'll know that they don't They don't know. All of you. Or you can choose to be fully known and tear down the boundaries and the walls and be genuine and honest and and fully open and, and invite shame and invite the scorn of others who will rightly hate your sin because it's sinful. And there's no way out of this. There's no, there's no way under, under heaven. There's no way out of this. Every person you meet is stuck in this game. Every person you meet is playing these cards. And is just trying to figure out, how much can I show of myself so that you'll love me, but not too much so that you'd be repulsed by me? You can be loved or you can be known. But not both. There's an epidemic of loneliness in this world. And Nike and Tesla and Ford and Forbes magazine do not have an adequate solution. In fact, you think about this. like I'm I'm talking about world-impacting things. This applies in any culture, in any time, in any high school, ever. This is a problem that all humanity faces and there are no solutions. Thousands of years of trying to find one, humanity has found zero solutions to this problem. But where man fails, God has not. And that background is what makes this so good news. Friends, The church has the best news in all the world. All right? Don't forget how lonely your neighbors can be. There are common grace. Praise the Lord for common grace. Even unbelievers can have a certain closeness that the Lord miraculously allows. Praise God for that. Don't forget what's beneath it and what's behind it. There is an epidemic of loneliness. And we have the only answer to it. And you know, sometimes you'll share the gospel and and it gets rejected. You've never been rejected sharing the gospel. You are not sharing it enough. Okay? And you should get rejected sharing the gospel. Because apart from the, the grace of God, that's the human response to the gospel. But we can, we can, get, we can, we can have you know, be rejected when we're sharing the gospel. And we can think, well, maybe the good news isn't that good. You know, maybe, maybe it isn't so wonderful. Friends, this is the best news that there could be. The angel said it is good news of great joy. So let's act like it. It's good news that we get to share with others. And here's what this verse before us says. It says you, Christ came so that you would become a child of God. The real you. The hidden you. The the, 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 the you that no one else knows and that you hope no one else ever sees. That You can become a child of God. You don't need a mask. You don't need to hide. You don't need to isolate. You can be fully known and, amazingly, at the same time, fully loved by none less than God Himself. This is fantastic. This is wonderful. And when God God does that, He he restores first the first relationship, the most important relationship, the creature's relationship with the Creator. No longer kicked out of the garden of fellowship with Him, so to speak. I mean, what we're looking at here is actually the garden restored. Right? That's that's what Revelation 21 is talking about. Everything lost, all brought back, together, and even better. So God restores this relationship with Himself. He's begun that now. Glory to God. You, Christian, have direct access to God. The youngest person here, the youngest person here, the one who sinned the most this week, has direct access to God. And will find acceptance in the throne room of creation. It's, it's amazing. And then, God having restored that, he begins to restore this. Had some folks, praise the Lord, that have become Christians more recently. And you know what they did? They became Christians, and then they were added to the church. Because when you're brought to Christ, you're brought to his family. There's a few. You, friend, have brothers, and you have sisters. And we're learning, we're not great at this yet, We're learning how to love each other. We're learning how to take the masks off. We're learning how to confess our sins and find a community that encourages us on the other side of that. What in the world? That is not possible apart from Jesus Christ. There's a glimpse of heaven that the church approximates every now and again, and may it be more so and more so and more so that at Mercy Hill you might be able to say, I am fully known and fully loved because of Jesus Christ and what he did for me. But whether that approximation, how, how closely we approximate that here, one day we will experience that. That's what this verse is talking about. He will be our God and we will be his sons. We will inherit this. And we will be joined into his family. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So, how did God do this? He promises the end of the epidemic of loneliness, of isolation. How did he conquer it? This is usually my favorite point in the sermon. If you've been here a while, you're on the edge of your seat, too. Because this is when I get to talk about what Jesus did for us. Because it always comes back to him. And this time we get to talk about the gospel in relational terms. Here's what did Jesus do for you? He was isolated so that you could belong. Come on. He was isolated so you could belong. He became the isolated Messiah. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men. He was one from whom men hide their faces. That is scorn. Wouldn't even look at him. The world hated him. The authorities scoffed at him. His family wouldn't follow him. And even his disciples abandoned him. And he was hung on a cross utterly alone. The only people who cared to be there looked upon him with scorn. Isolated and cut off horizontally from all of humanity. And then his anguish got deeper still. As he raised his voice to heaven and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he found himself forsaken. Isolated. Alone. And cut off. From every human connection and source of comfort. And from every divine connection and source of comfort. And he hung there naked. And a shame. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, they ran and he had nowhere to hide. He hung there wearing his shame because he hung there wearing our sin. The sin that rightly brings shame. Behold the goodness of God. He would endure such things so that we could belong. So that we could belong. Uh, We have the best news in all the world. So I'll speak directly. Jesus died so that you don't have to be isolated, Jesus died so you don't have to be forever lonely. You don't have to be cut off and rejected. This is why he came. So that you don't have to be alone. Friend, if you turn to him and confess your sin, he will take it from you forever. He'll take it from you. Forever. You'll never have to be known by it again. You'll never have to be Judged by it again. Not in an eternal sense. It will be gone. It will not be you anymore. He took it from you. He took your shame from you. So that you would not be rejected by God. Turn to him. This is for you, friend. You can be fully known. And fully loved. Only because of Jesus. Turn to him. And church, (laughs) uh, here's a relationship worth enjoying. He purchased relationship for you so that you would never walk through anything alone. Some of you are walking through hard things. You know what he, last words he said to us? I will never leave you or forsake you. That's a good word. <laughs> That's a good word. You know how weak I feel as a pastor sometimes? Go, go next to a hospital bed and pray for somebody, walking through something. I, I What can I do for them? I, I can't do anything for them. But I do know the one who can. And he's the one who said that he would never leave them or forsake them. That is That is powerful and wonderful for every day of our lives and into eternity. So let's enjoy the relationship with God that He purchased and anticipate it getting even better. Because that's what this is really. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be His God and He will be my son. Praise God for that day. That day is advancing. That day is coming where you are fully known and fully loved in the direct presence of God Himself. That is a miracle made possible only by Jesus. So, two applications. Enjoy it is one. All right? If you missed it, enjoy it. Joy to the world. Yeah, right. It fits. Enjoy it. This is why he came. All right? And then the other, which also the Lord has made a theme this morning, is tell others about it. Oh, man. Don't leave the isolated isolated. Don't leave the lonely in their loneliness. If they're going to reject you, fine, because you're not rejected by the Lord. You can take it. You can take it. Speak of his love. Speak of his name. Tell them of this good news. And you share the gospel, you always want to talk about Jesus. Always got to talk about repenting of sin. All right? if, 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 if you miss that, you've missed the gospel. Okay? But having gotten there, you can also say to them, you know you don't have to be alone. You know you can come out of the shadow. You know you don't have to live with your shame. You know you don't have to hide. You you can look to Jesus. He's the glory and the lifter of your head. Look to him. These are sweet promises to shame-filled, lonely people. May the Lord give us grace to share them. So may the Lord enable us to take great joy in the relationship that we have with our Lord and to speak often of it that others may find belonging in this world of loneliness that he would be glorified. Amen. Amen. Worship team, come on up. Let's stand together. We pray for nothing less than a move of your spirit this week. Lord, we look to you, we who are weak, we who probably for most of us would say something like, I don't share the gospel enough. Lord, I pray that you would use us this week. Bring us where we need to 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 repent of our selfishness, self-centeredness. But Lord use us, use our weak words, our stumbling words, our joyful words to speak of you. Lord that you would draw the lonely and the isolated, the hurting, that perhaps they would be welcomed into your family this Christmas season. Lord, we pray that you would use us. And we pray that that our Our joy in you would be full as we enjoy the reality of being your children. In Jesus' name, amen.